0: You're listening to South Asia Sphere from Himal, South Asian, a bi-weekly roundup of what's been happening across South Asia. This episode was recorded on the 4th of April, 2023. Hi everyone and welcome to South Asia
1: Sphere, our fortnightly roundup of news events and regional affairs. I'm Raisa and I'm joined by my colleague and fact-checker and researcher Saheli.
0: Hi Saheli. Hi Raisa.
1: This week for our big stories, we're talking about recent events in the Doklam border dispute in Bhutan, an escalation in attacks on journalists in Bangladesh, Kashmir, the Maldives and Afghanistan, and Congress leader Rahul Gandhi's disqualification as an MP in India following a recent court conviction. For around South Asia in five minutes, we're talking about the search farm Ritpal Singh, a high court case on sedition law and curbing the chief justice's powers in Pakistan, attempts to criminalise predatory lending in Nepal, Sri Lanka receiving the extended fund facility from the IMF, and developments in the 2019 Jamia violence case in India. Let's start off with what's happening in Bhutan.
0: The Doklam dispute is back in the news. Bhutan appears to have shifted
1: position. Its prime minister has made a statement. Well,
0: the Bhutanese prime minister's statement on China having a stake is likely to be deeply problematic for New Delhi, which is entirely opposed to China extending its footprint. So in Bhutan, the prime minister Lotte Shering's comments recently in an interview with a Belgian newspaper about the Doklam border dispute has sparked concern in India. So he said that it's not up to Bhutan alone to solve the problem, and I quote, There is no big or small country, there are three equal countries, each counting for a third. And he also denied that China has built any infrastructure in Bhutan. Now, Indian media interpreted his comment about China having an equal say as being a change in Bhutan's stance from 2019, and suggested that Bhutan is becoming more allied with China instead of India. The Congress Party General Secretary of Communication Jairam Ramesh also raised concern about the interview. In a separate interview with the Bhutanese, Shering denied that there has been any change in stance on the part of Bhutan. The article clarifies that the reference to all three countries being equal was simply just that Bhutan has an equal say despite being the smallest of the three countries. Now, in January 2023, Talks between Chinese and Bhutanese officials on resolving border disputes progressed, though both countries don't have diplomatic relations. And uh, this recent situation with the interview reveals the pressure on Bhutan coming from both China and India. Even during the Doklam standoff, some commentators interpreted Bhutan's stance as a careful use of silence, to sort of avoid triggering nationalist sentiments in China or India. And the reaction sort of shows how tough that is. Thanks,
1: Saheli. And speaking of borders, there's actually been an escalation in attacks on journalists and their family members in the past couple of weeks across the region. Now, these include arrests and investigations under the Digital Security Act in Bangladesh. So one of these incidents is the arrest of Suzaman Shams, who is a Prothamalo correspondent and he was arrested by plainclothes police officers on March 29th. At the same time, investigations were also opened into Prothamalo's editor Mathieu Rahman. Shams, an unnamed camera operator at the outlet and other unidentified people were also investigated under the Digital Security Act. The allegations were that they were spreading false news And this was related specifically to an incident where a child's photo was erroneously used and it accompanied a quote from an adult laborer in an article about price hikes in Bangladesh. And once again, these attempts to kind of crack down on the journalist reporting it only drew more attention to the article itself and the broader kind of issue of the economic crisis in Bangladesh. Also in Bangladesh, the brother of journalist Sulkar Nain, Ser Khan, alleges that he was beaten by four men in connection with his brother's work. Khan worked with Al Jazeera on All the Prime Minister's Men, a documentary on how a criminal gang is colluding with the security forces of Bangladesh with links to Prime Minister Sheikh Hasina. At the same time in India, Irfan Maharaj was also arrested. Irfan is a Kashmiri journalist and he was arrested under the Unlawful Activities Prevention Act on the 20th of March. Incidentally, he's also a former contributor to Himal, South Asian as well. Now, the NIA is alleging that Mehraj is a close associate of Kashmiri rights activist Kuram Parvez, who has also been arrested under the UAPA ever since 2021. In the Maldives... Journalist Hussein Juman was arrested and assaulted by police on the 17th of March when he was covering an opposition rally calling for the release of Abdullah Yamin, who, as you may remember, was convicted on corruption and money laundering charges in December 2022. Juman was later released without charge. We actually unpacked Yamin's conviction in a January episode of South Asia Sphere, so do check that out in the episode notes. And in Afghanistan, there was the tragic story of the female journalist Torpkaya Markel, who drowned when the boat carrying her and over 200 asylum seekers capsized on the way to Italy from Turkey. A total of uh, 60 asylum seekers died in that incident.
0: Our final big story is about Indian opposition leader Rahul Gandhi, who recently filed an appeal against his criminal defamation conviction. So, the case was filed against him for comments made in 2019 at a rally in Karnataka, where he said, why do all these thieves have Modi as their surname? The case was brought by Purnesh Modi, who is a BJP lawmaker, and alleged that Gandhi has defamed the entire Modi community. His conviction would mean that he is disqualified from next year's general election, and this decision was heavily criticized as a sign of continually deteriorating democracy in India. But some commentators also say that the decision might backfire on Modi and the BJP, because it's resulted in a rare show of unity by the opposition parties. And now for our next segment, Around South Asia in 5 minutes.
1: In Punjab, police have been looking for Khalistani separatist and Varis Punjab their leader Amrit Pal Singh since he evaded arrest on the 18th of March. The charges against him include attempted murder, spreading hatred and disharmony, and attack on police personnel. These charges are in connection with a specific incident on February 23rd, when Varis Punjab Day supporters stormed the Ajnala police station, brandishing swords and guns, demanding the release of Varis Punjab Day member Lavpreet Singh, who is a close associate of Amritpal. At the same time, authorities temporarily ordered an internet shutdown for all of Punjab. Several Twitter accounts of journalists and activists were blocked in India. It's important to remember that the Khalistani separatist movements have been born out of systematic oppression, and we've published a few pieces looking at the history of these movements. For instance, in 2008, we published a piece by Michael Van S. called Embers of a Sikh Fire, and more recently in 2022 we ran a piece by Lena Krishnan that was called Fragments of Memory so do check those out in the episode notes.
0: This is a landmark judgment by the Lahore High Court and it should be supported by anyone who
1: believes in freedom of expression. federal law minister, Azam Nasir Tara, presented on Tuesday a bill aimed at curtailing the chief justice of Pakistan.
0: In Pakistan, the Lahore High Court declared that the colonial era sedition law is unconstitutional. This law has long been used to crack down on dissent, and it's a similar story across the region with the use of sedition laws. We published an article in 2016 called South Asia's Deja Vu by Bina Sarva, which discusses how the use of the sedition law in India and the blasphemy law in Pakistan both stem from hypernationalism. So do check that out in the episode notes. The Pakistan parliament also recently passed a new bill that limits the powers of the chief justice to initiate cases motu or on its own accord, amidst widespread protests. This is linked to the case of Suomoto notice brought by the Chief Justice regarding elections in Khyber Pakhtunkhwa and Punjab. Also in Pakistan, on the 31st of March, at least 11 people died in a stampede at a free food distribution centre outside a factory in Karachi that was set up for Ramadan. News reports say that at least 22 people have died at food aid centres recently in Pakistan, as the economic crisis worsens,
1: in Nepal, hundreds of protesters, most of them women, marched in front of Thundikal Kula Manch in Kathmandu, demanding that the government take action against predatory lending or meterbiarch, which sees many people unable to pay back skyrocketing interest rates for small amounts of capital. The protesters marched for 11 days from several districts in Theray to draw attention to how loan sharks have devastated families in the region. They were eventually not allowed inside Thundike Kula Manch by Kathmandu metropolitan city officials and so they had to protest outside on the pavement, which is ironic because the Kula Manch is meant to be an open space. In response, the government took the decision to introduce legal amendments criminalizing predatory lending. Earlier, it was categorized as an offense under the civil code, which meant that victims had to go up against loan sharks alone.
0: In Myanmar, the Union Election Commission announced the dissolution of 40 political parties, including Aung San Suu Kyi's National League for Democracy, after they didn't register under the new political party registration law, which we discussed in a previous episode of South Asia Sphere. So the military is laying the groundwork to hold elections later this year, which the NLD has said is illegitimate. Crisis group warns that these elections are likely to be the most violent in Myanmar's recent history.
1: Over in Sri Lanka, on the 20th of March the IMF Executive Board announced the approval of a $2.9 billion extended fund facility to Sri Lanka. Now, Sri Lanka has been in negotiations with the IMF for almost a year since around April 2022. Now, this news was celebrated in parts of Sri Lanka with fireworks being lit, especially by government supporters. But also, there have been continued trade union protests against the IMF-backed reforms, which include the introduction of income tax, among other measures. We've been running several pieces unpacking Sri Lanka's economic crisis. For example, from February 2023, we ran a piece by Ahilan Kadir Gama and Devaka Gunawardana on Sri Lanka's Great IMF Lie. And more recently, on the 30th of March, we looked at how the IMF bailout is changing Sri Lanka's foreign policy as well. So do check those pieces out in the episode notes.
0: And in our final story, in India, the Delhi High Court charged Sharjil Imam, Safura Zaga, Asif Iqbal Tanha, and eight others with rioting, unlawful assembly, and other charges in the Jamia violence case, incidents in 2019 in protests against the Citizenship Amendment Act. The High Court judgment overturned an earlier trial court verdict that discharged them from this case. And now for our next segment, bookmark. Raisa, do you have any recommendations?
1: Thanks, Saheli. Yeah, I do. So this week we're recommending *Hamikunako Manche*, which translates as *We Corner People*. It's a Nepali documentary by Kesang Setan. This documentary follows the lives of a village in Rasuwa District, north of Kathmandu. And it particularly follows their relationship with the river that they have to cross in order to buy food, sell goods, or go to school. It also follows them as they work to build a bridge across the river while talking about their daily lives and hardships. It's, um, at times very poignant and definitely worth a watch.
0: Hami Kunaka Manche is the first documentary in our new initiative, Screen South Asia, in collaboration with Film South Asia. So every month we'll be screening documentaries from across the region, followed by a discussion with the filmmaker. And now Hamikunakomanche is a great documentary on its own, but being able to actually uh, hear about the background of making it and how he, you know, found the story in the seemingly ordinary lives of the villagers and the ordinary story of the building of the bridge, you know, it was really interesting. I think it adds another level to watching the documentary and it's great to hear, you know, the insights of the filmmaker. So if you are interested in signing up, And being part of Screen South Asia, the link will be in the episode notes. Thanks,
1: Saheli. And on that note, that's it for this edition of South Asia Sphere. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to South Asia Sphere. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud and Himal South Asian social media channels. To make sure you don't miss the next episode, head to our website himalmag.com to see more of Himal's work and please support our work by becoming a member. Check out our membership plans at himalmag.com slash membership.